this uh, series looking at four-letter words. I know being younger, growing up in my house, there was certain four-letter words you weren't allowed to say. And uh, if you were like me and you got caught saying one of those words, you got, you got in big trouble. Um, or like my friend did, he would get his mouth washed out with soap. I don't know what that, that is just torture. That's just something wrong with that. Um, and, and so we're looking at these four-letter words, and it's interesting because there's a lot of four-letter words in the Word of God that we don't seem to talk about or that we seem to really misunderstand. And so I thought for this Mother's Day, I want to look at a story in the Bible that has everything to do with love. Not the type of love that we see in our world today, but a real godly love, a type of sacrificial love. And I think this word love is probably one of the most misunderstood words in our world today, especially in, in, in our culture, because um, the word love can mean so many different things. And we use just that one word love for everything we, we talk about. And so I believe it's a very misunderstood word. And if, if you're going to look at the definition of love, they would describe it as like affection or attraction or warm attachment. Um, it, it sounds nice. Uh, love is this warm and fuzzy feeling I get inside uh, many times, but I want you to notice the definition that the dictionary gives us of love. It it's all has to do with my feelings, and uh, and I know uh, when I'm in love, when I have these certain feelings, right? Feelings, nothing more than feel. Right? We have these these feelings that we're supposed to get, and but. What are those feelings rooted in? Are they rooted in something solid or are they most likely rooted in my emotions? Most likely, many times, are rooted in my emotions. How many know that our feelings change all the time? So here's the problem with the English definition of love. This affection or attraction or warm attachment. The problem is I get those same feelings when I see a fresh-baked pepperoni pizza, right? Or... Or when I come home and my cute little 15-pound fluffy white dog, Mopsy, greets me at the door, right? Just, oh, Mopsy, no one else cares I'm home, but you care. My dog loves me. And so we get these same feelings. And so the world's definition of love would be a feeling, an emotion, a physical attraction. Notice how it revolves around how you feel about someone else. But if we understand this four-letter word of love, a true biblical understanding, what we're going to see in this story today, this has to be probably one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. And I think it it fits so well with mom's day today. And so this is what I want to dig in today. Um, But if we look at a true biblical definition of love, what we'll come to understand in the word of God is that is that biblical love is a choice not based in what the other person does for me. This is huge. Biblical love is a choice. Romans 5.8 probably gives the best definition that you will ever hear about love. God says this. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Here it is, in this. While we were still lovable, while we were still snowflakes and and wonderful and made no problems, right? Jesus loved us. No, what does it say? Well, we were still what? Sinners. We don't hear that word a lot, right? We always hear the words, well, 
I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I made a lot of bad choices. We try to dumb you down, don't we? Just a little bit, not to make it as bad as it sounds. But in reality, the Bible describes our waywardness as sinners. We completely missed God. So here's what he says. God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were still sinners away from enemies with him, nothing we could do in ourselves to save us or to make our lives right. What does he do for us? Christ died for us. So what is Jesus's love towards us based in? Was it based on me? Was it based on how good I was? No, because I was what? A, let's all say it together. That's just good, right? One, two, three, sinner. That's good. It's okay to say it because we have to realize who we are before we meet Christ. And so he says, what he does is he does something for us in spite of us, in spite of our waywardness and our sinfulness, God sends his son to die for us. So it's a choice. God's love for me is based not in me or how well I behave. Everybody say amen. So it's not based in me or how well I behave or how many times I go to church or how often I read my Bible or all these good religious works we do. His love is not based in that. His love is not based in my performance. His love is based in me, based upon a choice, which is based in God's character and his commitment to to me, not what I can do for him. There's nothing I could ever do for God that would ever match his wonderful greatness and his holiness. So what we end up doing is we, we end up mixing up Many times, lust with love. Lust always takes, love always gives. If you love me, we'll use words like this, very very conditional words. We'll use things like this. If you love me, you will do this. Conditional love, not unconditional love. We base love in our conditions, what you do for me. My love for you is dependent on what you do for me. So we use love to get what we want, to fulfill actually our own loss. And that's why so many relationships struggle. Listen, I will save you thousands of hours of marital counseling right in this message right here for free, for free right here. I'll tell you here, here it is right here. 27 years of pastoring, dealing with married couples all the time. What it comes down to is this very thing. It's a struggle with who's going to be in control. It's a struggle with, am I going to love you unconditionally? It's this struggle of, I want my way, not your way. And there's this constant battle. And it's this, this tug of war. You ever play tug of war? You've got two teams trying to pull the other team um, on your side. Um, I was at the homecoming last year. My son played football last year. So I got to go to their homecoming pep rally. And so what they do is in the gym, they had this huge tug of war. They had the winners of all the classes uh, do a tug of war against the teachers. So you've got this huge rope, no gloves. How many of you like rope burn, right? So you got no gloves. So I'm just standing on the side, just watching because it was just fun watching all the kids. And all of a sudden they wave at me, the teachers. Hey, can you come help us? Right? Because we, we want to we beat the students, right? So we get in there and, and we're talking about, and we beat the students. It was great. It was just, you know, so we're running around the 
you know, running around the gym, you know, beating our chest. You guys stink. You guys are losers. The teachers, these old people just beat you. But there's this tug of war. Like you're trying to get the, the flag across the line. And that's why many marriages, it's this tug of war. If you love me. And so what we do is we use love as a tool many times to pull the other person to our side. And we use many times guilt to do this. So if you love me, you would. If you love me, you would let me. But the question is, if you really love me, you would never have asked. See, this is why I love the story in the Old Testament, the story of Ruth. This is, it's four quick, you could sit down and read it in half an hour. It's an amazing story about unconditional love, a sacrificial love. This whole story is not just, it's actually really, I mean, if you're looking for a good love story, if you're looking for a good chick flick, Ruth is it. Ruth is the best chick flick you're going to be, you're going to see. This is so much better than Pride and Prejudice, which is my wife's favorite movie, by the way which I've seen about a million times sitting there with Kathleen. So I know all about it, Mr. Darcy. Okay, I know, I'm there, all right, I'm there, all right, I'm there, it's good, it's good, I'll, I'll give you credit there. Ruth is so much better. Ruth is so much better. And here's the reason why. The reason why this book is so important for us to understand is because it has everything to do with our relationship with Christ and what Jesus Christ did for us. And so what I want to do uh, this morning on Mom's Day is I want to go through just the, the book of Ruth with you this morning. And I'm hoping that you will get a completely different look about love. I, I'm even praying, seriously, I'm praying that this will cause you to look differently at your relationships. That this will bring healing to many marriages. Um, that, that this will um, bring a new insight into you on how we are to treat one another and most importantly, how this will change your relationship with God if you, if you understand the insights of this book. So let me give you a little background of the book of Judges. Because really, uh, it, it has to do with the book of Judges. Um, and this is another book of the Bible that kind of describes the situation that's going on during the time of Ruth. Ruth, Ruth lived during this time of Judges. This was a time when Israel was very disorganized. They had no real leader. Um, And so the book before Ruth is the book of Judges. And Judges basically summarizes what's going on in this time by saying this, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That was basically where Ruth was living in. Basically, during this time in Israel's history, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Can you imagine telling that to your kids? Hey, Do whatever you think is right in your own eyes. Can you imagine the disorder? Can you imagine saying it to your seven-year-old? Do whatever you think is right in your own eyes. Go up to the stove, whatever you want to do, however you want to work that thing, right? No way. Crossing 104, whatever you want to do, what's ever right in your own eyes, right? That would be crazy. That would be ludicrous. And this is basically... The time where everybody's just doing what they want to do. It was basically a free-for-all. And so at this time, God would, what he would do is he would raise up these temporary judges or leaders to help Israel. It was a time of spiritual apathy. 
the pattern in Israel was simple. It was very circular. What they would do is they would sin and they would abandon God. And then they would be subdued by these nations who would overcome them, which kept them in fear. Then they were sorry and they would cry out to God for help. And then they would receive salvation and God would raise up this judge or this leader to rescue them for a time. And one of those judges during this time, we, we know well the story of Samson with the really nice hair. Samson and Delilah. And so this is the time, this is the period in which Ruth is living. And so what I want to do is I want to read this story about Ruth. I want to go over different chapters with you to, to, to understand what Ruth is going through. So I want to start off with Ruth chapter 1. And I want to look at the first five verses here. And let's see what's going on here and what's going on in, in, in Ruth's life and, and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And it, it says right in the first verse, in the days when the judges ruled, which we just talked about, it, there was this famine in the land from Bethlehem to Judah, which is devastating. And so together with the wife, two sons, they went to live a while in the country of Moab, and we're going to talk about this because this is very significant. And so the man Elimelech, his wife named, named Naomi, and they had two sons, Malon and Chilion. And so from this area of Bethlehem and Judah, they, they went to this land of Moab. They actually went there to live there. And so now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, which is devastating. And she was left with two sons. And so they married Moabite women. One was Orpah, the other was Ruth. And after they lived there for about 10 years, both Malon and Chilion also died. Man, this is depressing. Everybody's dead. And so here's Naomi. She's left without her two sons and without her husband, which their whole livelihood was basically destroyed. And so this is the situation. This is very significant. Um, they basically have... Nothing. And so the interesting thing about the story of Ruth is that she's not an Israelite. In fact, she was considered an enemy of Israel from the country of Moab. And so Ruth was introduced to her husband when her family came to Moab because of the famine in the land, which brought them there to try to find food. Now, this was not a good situation. Naomi was childless, widow with no financial help, and this would absolutely be devastating. So what she needed, she needed her people. She needed her community to help her. And we're going to see how this story plays out in just a minute. So what Naomi does is she's with her daughters. And listen, you guys, in order to make it, don't hang out with me. You need to get remarried. You need help. So Naomi gives permission for her daughter-in-laws to return to their land of Moab to find their families to get help. Now, what's interesting here is Orpah does. She goes back, but Ruth, Ruth refuses. So let's go on with the story here because this is really interesting. Look at verse 16 and 18 in chapter 1. Here's what's interesting. Ruth replied to her after Naomi said, go back to your gods. Ruth says, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Now, some of you may recognize this verse because many times they read it at wedding ceremonies. So if you hear it, you're like, oh, I remember that verse. That's cool. That's where it is. It's in Ruth. 
Verse 16, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Now, this is very, very significant because Orpah, what she was actually doing was returning to her country, but actually returning to her gods. She returned to Moab. This country rejected God. This nation consistently came against the people of God. They worshiped a God called Chemosh, And within that religious system, there was child sacrifice. It was a very pagan religion. And the Moabites were a tribe that descended from the person of Moab. He was the son of Lot, who was born out of an incestuous relationship with the eldest daughter found in Genesis 19. You're like, man, this stuff's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. You need to read it more. It's pretty cool. So you've got this horrible situation, this this country that was actually uh, born out of an incestuous relationship. This is where Ruth is from. She's from this country, an enemy of God. This is where Orpah is from. She goes back to her gods. And so there was this judgment that God had against Moab. You would think Ruth saying, why would I go to that country where God is judging them, where our people are anti the God of Israel. And so there we have Ruth and she goes, I'm not going back. And in fact, it says she clung to Naomi. Very, very interesting. Basically by clinging to Naomi, what Ruth is expressing is this. She forsook her land and their gods to follow Naomi And her God, making the God of Israel her God. What Ruth does is she puts her faith in God and she speaks this covenantal language to Naomi. I love this. What she says is she says, listen, I will lose everything to follow you. That's why this verse is read um, at weddings, even though it's not really particularly a specific wedding verse, the reason why people like this verse so much is because it speaks covenantal language. What what do I mean by that? Covenantal language is this, where God says to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. So when you get two people that are married and they come together, what what are they saying to one another? That they're saying, till death do us what? Part. Um, For richer or for richer. No, for richer, for poor, right? In sickness and in, right? Well, what kind of words are those? Talked about this last week. Those are covenantal words. If you came to a wedding and those two people were together and they're saying, okay, we're going to get married, but we're going to have a contractual wedding. We got this prenup. We got this contractual. And so, listen, stand for the pastor. They sit there and they have this list. Okay, I, okay, let's see. Let's make this checklist here. Okay, I'll take out the garbage. If you do the laundry, sound good? Okay, will you both, the pastors, okay, will you both put your initials right there? 
Okay. Now let's, what else? Uh, I'll walk the dog. Um, if you do the laundry, does that sound good? Okay. Put your initials right there. How many of us would be sitting there? What in the world is going on? We would pick up our toaster, our gift, and we would head out the back door. We don't want to hear that. But what happens in most marriages? It turns into this contractual agreement. You don't do this for me. See, we have all these expectations, and when these expectations are not met, we're disturbed because we think marriage is this 50-50 thing where I'm going to give you, and we're going to get 50, and this is going to... Survey says, eh, wrong answer. Wrong answer. See, a true marriage, which is very symbolic of what Ruth is doing with Naomi, this is a marriage. She's, she's saying, I'm going to give everything to you. I'm going to forsake my people. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. This is covenantal language. Same language that should be spoken in a marriage. Somebody say amen. We need to hear this today. You guys are saving. I'm saving you so much money right now. It's not even funny. See, here's the problem. The problem is we say 50-50. It's not this. It's 100%. I'm giving you everything. I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to take a risk by doing this. So what we end up doing, once we get burned, then we say, now I'm going to protect myself. But what, what, what Ruth does is she lays it all out. And she says, you know what? I'm going to be vulnerable and I know what I'm giving up because those are my, I don't know what lies ahead of me because I'm going to go with you. And these people are enemies. Once the Moabite walks in to your community, I could get ostracized. I could easily get kicked out. And Ruth knows this, but Naomi says, okay, okay. I'm not going to stop you, but it's probably not going to be pretty. It's probably not going to be pretty. And so she gives up everything. And she follows him. And so Naomi and Ruth leave to go back to Israel. Ruth risks everything. She gives, basically gives up everything. She's basically given up her future. In fact, she's probably not going to get married. There's no way. It's just not going to happen. She's a Moabite. It's not going to happen. So she just basically says, I'm giving up everything. And what God sees is God sees her heart. He, he sees this commitment that's the same kind of commitment that God has towards us in his son, Jesus. So let's continue in the story because it keeps getting better. I'm telling you, better than pride and prejudice. This is good stuff here. Okay, so let's go to verse 19 in chapter 1. So it says, the two women went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? And this is what she says. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Called me Mara because the Almighty, and Mara means bitter. She's just, I've lost everything. And so I'm not blessed. Don't, don't call me by my real name, which means pleasant, but call me bitter. This is how she feels. She feels bitter. She feels like the Almighty has left her. And so she goes, the Almighty has made my life very bitter and, and I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned to, so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, who, who is this Moabitess, 
her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is very important. So the writer sticks this in for us because the barley harvest was very, very important. So here you have Naomi. She's bitter. She thinks God has taken everything away from her. She's bitter with God. She's mad. Look at my life. I got this Moabite with me. She wants to call me. That's great. Um, it's not going to turn out well for her, and it's not turning out well for me. So I've got to go back. I'm hungry, and I've got to go back to my people. I need help. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm destitute. So I want you to notice a couple things here. When they returned, there was a big stir in the town. Naomi had nothing, no husband, no son. She was broken. She told everyone to call her Mara, which means bitter. However, in verse 22, this gives us hope because for Naomi, this was the barley harvest. Now, what's so significant about that? Well, her suffering would bring about an opportunity for God's blessings. And actually, the blessing is going to come through this rejected Moabite woman. I want you, you got to, don't fall asleep right now. You've got to stay with me. Because some of you here right now, you look at your past, you think, man, there's a lot of bitterness there, Pastor. Broken marriages, broken lives, bad decisions. How's God going to use this? I'm just here at church. I'm trying to get through life. This is going to help you. Because her suffering was an opportunity for God's blessings. God didn't forget about her. God didn't forget about her pain. So in order to get food, here was the thing about a law that was in Jewish law. In order to get food, those who were destitute or a widow could glean from the edges of the field that were harvested. So a good Israelite would leave the edges of his field unharvested so that those that were destitute could glean from that and actually eat. And so this is what happened. Naomi comes and the edges of the field, uh, a good man left those untouched. And so she goes and she sees that. And, um, and so it's during the harvest. And that's exactly what Ruth did. The field she harvested is very interesting. was the fields of a man named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband. And this is where she would find favor in his eyes. And so what Ruth does is, Ruth goes into this field, And Naomi instructs Ruth, hey, here is what we're going to do. Because this is a relative of mine. I'm too old, so on and so forth. Can't get married, blah, blah, blah. But here's what I want you to do, Ruth. I want you to go to Boaz and rely on a law called the Kingsman Redeemer, where the closest male relative would have the responsibility to marry the widow. Now, remember, she's a Moabite. Boaz could say, no way. She's not an Israelite. So, Naomi's taking a risk by sending Ruth out there to say, hey, let's rely on this law and let's see if God takes care of us. So let's go to Ruth chapter 3 and see what happens here because this is amazing. Ruth chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. So what happens here is, so she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in Good spirits, read between the lines there, way to a man's heart is through his stomach. 
So what she did was she went over and she lied down at the far end of the grain pile and Ruth approached quietly, uncovering his feet and laid down. And in the middle of the night, something startled the man and he turned to discover a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. She said, I am your servant, Ruth. And she said, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kingsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than which you have shown earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. He knew about her reputation. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Very interesting. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kingsman redeemer nearer than I. Oh, man, this is where the story goes bad. Come on, pastor. Boaz, right? Mr. Darcy, come on, what's going on here? It's got to go that way. What? What? It's not going to work out. Verse 13, stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem good, then let him redeem But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord live, I will do it. Lie here until morning. Okay, so here's here's what happens. Here's the good news. The good news is the other relative refuses because it's going to hurt his livelihood and and it's going to hurt his inheritance. It could go to a son or if they have that between each other, if they get married. So the other relative refuses. So what Boaz does is he takes Ruth as his wife. Now, here's what's amazing from this story is this. Boaz takes a risk by taking her as his wife. So not only is Ruth taking a step of faith, but Boaz is too by marrying a Moabite. And here's what's amazing about the lineage of their child that they have together. The amazing thing about the story from Ruth is that through their lineage would come King David and from King David's line would come the Messiah, Jesus Christ. From Ruth, a country that God judged, a woman from foreign gods, pagan gods, child sacrifices, Chemosh, this horrible God that they would worship, She leaves everything to follow Naomi, to marry Boaz, to eventually the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would be born through that lineage. Isn't that amazing? See, God's doing something here. God's doing something here. See, the main theme of the book of Ruth is this. It's not just a wonderful love story, but here's what I want you to see. The main theme of the book of Ruth is redemption. It's all about redemption. That's the main theme. That God can take anything, anything that's messed up, screwed up, horrible, dysfunctional, and when given to him, he can redeem it for his glory and for his purpose. This story is about sacrificial love. This is what I love about the story. 
That is what is at the core. That is what is at the theme of the gospel message. God, through his love, sent his son to purchase us back from the chains of sin and destitution. The story of Ruth is symbolic of our relationship with Christ. Ruth, a Moabite, an enemy of God. And I want you to realize that we're all enemies of God because of our sin. Going back to the first verse, God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were still Moabites, that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And so we have to see ourselves here that we're enemies of God because of our sin and God received us when we least deserved it. So this story of redemption points to our ultimate redemption in Jesus Christ. He is our kingsman redeemer. He's the one that redeems us. So Boaz is this kingsman redeemer. He's the only one that can do it. Now, here's the neat thing about Boaz. Boaz is the dude. He's, he's the man. Because this is what Boaz does. He, he, this is what makes the role of the kingsman redeemer so important. He understood what his role was by obeying God in this law that was in God's word about this relative to step up to be this kingsman redeemer because this kingsman redeemer would literally save this family from dying. Not just dying physically, but their heritage from dying. Listen, people, listen. When you follow Christ and he redeems your life, he gives you a wonderful future. He gives you a wonderful heritage. He wants you to leave that legacy to your children. To let them know that there is a God that still saves, that still delivers, that still cares, that still loves. We want to keep perpetuating that from generation to generation till generation until Jesus' return. Can I get an Amen. It's the most important thing you will ever do. Boaz got it. His role was to preserve the land of the family that was lost or avenge the death of the killed family member or marry the widow who lost her husband. So the kingsman could refuse as the one relative did. And so this one relative refused to do it because he was too worried about his financial situation. The kingsman redeemer could just rebuy, rebuy the land that was lost from Naomi just to help the widow to keep her living. Or he could just marry the widow and not even buy the land. But here's what's so interesting about the dude Boaz. Here's what's so interesting about him. He doesn't take any shortcuts here. He didn't say, well... I'll just buy your land because you know, I just want to get into this married thing, okay? You're a Moabite. I'll just buy the land that you lost through this whole process to give you some inheritance so that you won't starve to death. Um, or he says, listen, I, the financial, I can't do that, but I'll just marry you just out of pity. I'll just marry you and just do away with that. But here's what Boaz does. What Boaz does is he does both. He pays the debt and also brings her into his family. Boaz goes the extra mile. He goes the whole way. 
What Boaz does for Ruth is gives her the things that only he earned. She had nothing. Christ gives to us the things that only he earned. We had nothing. We were sinners, destitute. See, that's biblical love. It's sacrificial. It's a choice. It's demonstrated by Boaz taking Ruth. He was also taking something else. Let me finish with this. He was also taking Mara. He was also taking Naomi, the bitter mother-in-law. How many of you would like that situation? Great. Now I get Ruth, and I also got to take the bitter mother-in-law with me. He was not happy. But here's what's amazing. By doing that, at the end of chapter 4, they have a child, and Naomi's whole countenance changes. She begins to see that everything that she's gone through, God had a purpose and a plan, and God renews her heart as she holds their child in her arms. Her joy is restored. The, the act of redemption comes all the way back around. God, you have redeemed me through the Kingsman Redeemer. You've redeemed my life through me holding this child in my arm. All done because of a Moabite woman who faithfully said, I'm going to leave my gods to follow your gods. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. Come, I'm going to follow you. I will follow you. I will follow you if it means that I give up everything. See, I want you to see a couple of very important things here. For Boaz, it truly was a sacrifice. Just two quick things here. Boaz chose to pay the price to redeem Ruth. He wasn't getting anything out of this. Jesus chose to pay the price for you and I. We didn't bring anything to the table. Nothing. But because of his love for us, knowing that the only way we could be reconciled back to a holy father was through his life, through his perfect sacrifice by giving himself. So Boaz chose to pay the price for redemption. Secondly, I want you to hear, Boaz was the only one willing to redeem Ruth. See, you might be here and you might be, you might be thinking right now, Pastor, my... my my, my, my family is in turmoil. My family history is one of brokenness and strife. Let me just say this to your parents. The best thing that you could ever hand down to your kids is your relationship with Jesus Christ and how you live it out before them. Don't ever give up praying for them. I know some of you are here today and you're like, Pastor, man, I raised my kids and so on and so forth and they're older now and they're just kind of gone their own way. Listen, don't, don't, God's, don't, don't, listen, don't. Allow your hearts to become bitter because the story is about redemption. That God restored a heart of Naomi, which her name means pleasant, to change her name to means bitter, to God redeeming that, to fulfilling that joy in her heart again.
because she saw the completion that God had in her life by holding her grandchild in her arm. Don't give up. I am so thankful that my parents never stopped praying for me. And believe me, I was a handful. I, was a hand- I came kicking and screaming to church. I was a handful. I, didn't, I wasn't very good when it pleasant when it came to those things before I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But I'm thankful that as I look back over my life that I can even look at my parents to see the faithfulness. Not that my parents are perfect by any means of imagination, but the faithfulness they had to serving God. That there's a concrete example that when I ask my kids, when you look at people in our church or in your life, who would you say are those that you want to emulate or those that you see are serious about their walk with Jesus? You know who they say? My parents. I want my grandkids to see that. Now, I'm not saying that our kids don't go certain ways or maybe go off track or whatever, but there's something that we have to give that example to them. And I'll tell you what. Boaz obeyed God. I thank God that Jesus obeyed God, that he willingly gave his life for us. So I would say to you, I would say to you moms that are just discouraged today because maybe your kids aren't where they're supposed to be, let your heart be full with God in this redemptive story that God is not done. And I know there's many, there, I, I don't know what went through maybe Ruth's heart in life, but all I know is that she followed God by faith. She didn't give up. She stayed faithful. And that's what I would say to you today. Remain faithful. Never stop praying. God has a plan. And his plans are good. And so I want to, through her suffering, God brought his redemption. Through, listen, through Christ's suffering, God brought us redemption through the cross so that we could be drawn to him and forgiven and healed of our brokenness. Don't give up. Some of you are here today and you're just, you may be like Naomi, you're just bitter because of the things that happened in your past and you're just bitter with God. Listen, he loves you. His suffering is a chance to bring his redemption if you allow that to come into your heart and your life today. What an amazing story about God's unconditional love. Jesus is our Kingsman Redeemer today. Let him change you. Let him redeem all that ugliness to use it for his grace and his glory, saying, hey, watch what I'm going to do with this. I love God because God always shows off. I love when God shows off. He's the one that can do it because he's the one that's not greedy. He's perfect. So God, we can't show off because we get in trouble when we do that, right? I love when God shows off. And he just says, here's Ruth. Watch what I do. Here's Naomi. Watch what I do. Here's Barden. Rebellious teenager. Doesn't want to go to church. Doesn't want anything to do with me. But I can redeem him. Every single person is redeemable. 
Don't give up. So Lord, we come before you today. Thank you for this story. Thank you for the story of Ruth. I pray that it would just give hope to every single parent, mom, single person in this place today. That Jesus, ultimately, you are our kinsman, redeemer. That you can take our brokenness and our strife and all those things and you can redeem it. God, help us to be obedient to you and to your calling and to hand that legacy off to our kids of a faithful life lived for Jesus Christ. So through our trials and through our suffering, may we remain faithful even when we don't see the outcome, even though Ruth didn't see the outcome, she remained faithful. Lord, help us to remain faithful. Thank you that you give us the strength. Thank you, Jesus, that we have you to look to every moment, every hour, knowing that ultimately, ultimately, you gain the victory through the cross and through your resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, that you redeem us, that you heal us, that you restore us. So give hope to every heart here today. And may we cling to you, Jesus, like Ruth clung to Naomi, forsaking those things in our life that will not bring us hope, that will not bring satisfaction. May we cling to you today, Jesus. Thank you for your word today and your precious name. In your precious name, we ask these things. Amen, amen, amen.